had you made the call, had you done this investigation, you'd have found out that this, this house had been treated several times for subterranean termites. This is the PMP Industry Insider Podcast. Hello, everyone. Welcome out to another episode of the PMP Industry Insider Podcast, where we look at what is changing in the industry and we take you to the front lines to those that are driving those changes. As always, I'm Donnie Shelton, owner of Triangle Home Services, which has Triangle Pest as well as Triangle Lawn. And with me is the omnipresent, ever-present, omni-omniscient. Is that, I, I don't even, I'm, I'm using words I don't even understand now. I don't even know. I don't even do think you, that's a word. But, omnipotent, uh, but, but omniscient. Omnipotent is a word. Omniscient is as well. So, so they anyway, By the way, right. big voice Dan Gordon. Dan, would you like to say hello? Also, talk about our sponsor, our guests, and our topic. Sure. So, uh, we are going to. So, let's talk about our sponsor first. So, I don't forget that. So, our sponsor is Coal March by Workwave. If you want to find out more about digital uh, marketing or any of the services that they offer, uh, go to coalmarch.com and um, you can have a look there. And as promised, we are bringing back my friend, colleague, and a guy that I probably work more with than anybody else, uh, Mark Ruff, who is an attorney in Florida. And uh, I closed the word document with your whole profile, so I can't read it, but let me do it by memory. Uh, Mark represents lots of folks uh for uh you know in um you know wood destroying hang on hang on wood destroying realm ladies and gentlemen let me just take over here i gave dan a simple task which was to introduce our guest and he perfect failed. let's go i yes. have his let me mark i'm going to give you yeah, why don't you read it because i read it the last time it's about time that you start pulling your weight around here so let's go <laughs> all right so mark ruff is an attorney who's been representing the needs of florida pest control operators for over many years he represents dozens of pest control companies and has significant experience representing pest control companies in a number of areas including defense of claims involving chemical exposure Wood destroy organism inset reports, which are my favorite, repair and retreatment contracts, non-compete agreements, corporate mergers and acquisitions, and more. Mark currently serves as counsel for the Florida Pest Management Association as an advisor to the Certified Pest Control Operators Association of Florida and as a member of the Fumigation Advisory Council's Board of Directors. Mark, welcome. That's the proper introduction there. That was awesome. <laughs> <laughs> I think I read that last week or on the last episode. Let's talk about what, so, so we wanted to continue this discussion because it's fascinating to me. Uh, and I think to everybody who, who does uh, inspections, but uh, you know, well, we can talk about how to do a proper inspection, but let's talk about, um, you know, how to protect yourself legally when you're doing this inspection. And and I just want to say that uh, most of what Mark's going to talk about uh, relates to Florida, but Florida has some of the most stringent rules in the country in place. So if you pattern your program after some of the concepts we talk about, um, I think that you will be in best in class. I don't want to say you'll be in compliance in your state, but you will be best in class and you should check out your own state. But um, with that, why don't we uh, dig in? All right. By the way, well, hello, Mark. <laughs> <laughs> Hi, guys. Um, all right. So I thought what we would focus today on is is what we consider to be the pre-purchase inspection uh, in Florida. It's called a 13645 inspection. 
probably one of the hotbed areas for litigation uh, that a pest control company who uh, conducts these inspections would face. Um, in Florida, uh, the inspection is only used uh, if you're going to uh, refinance a property or if the property is going to be purchased. Now, the 13645 inspection in Florida is different than the NPMA 33. And in Florida, uh, even though a lot of lenders want to see the NPMA 33 form used, in Florida, you must use the 13645 in addition. So if the lender wants the NPMA 33 in Florida, you also have to give them the 13645 form. Always, always, always. We have a similar structure here in North Carolina. We, we, we call them WDIRs here, and we have the same protocol, which is the state has their own form. That's what you will use regardless whenever you do one. And, you know, if someone wants an MPMA 33, that has to be in addition to you can't, you can't supplant that. So I would imagine most of our listeners just check with your state to make sure you know what, what's legal in your state. Correct. Now, in the reason that, that we face a lot of uh, litigation of this form, and I've probably over my career handled well over 200 of these cases, uh, what, what we find out is, is a lack of training. Uh, again, um, there, what happens is a lot of times in the litigation, what you'll find is a technician will say, well, I rode around the truck for three weeks and watched you know, my certified operator or another technician conduct these inspections um, because they don't know where to get the information. And a lot of the information uh, that you get, at least here in Florida, is on the Department of Agriculture's website, you know, chapter 42. Um, there are baseline practices the department puts out. In many states, I've seen it uh, as well. The Department of Agriculture will put out guidelines on how to conduct the inspection and or even fill out the form itself. And a lot of these documents somehow never make it into the training folders for these technicians. So that's, to me, that's where a lot of the a lot of the issues start is, you know, was the individual trained? Um, the other thing that, that I see a lot of is that um, they, the uh, technician gets a route sheet and that route sheet has 10 stops a day on it. Now, how can a technician do 10 stops a day on 10 different homes? And in litigation, the question is always asked uh, of the technician, well, how long does it take you to inspect a 2,500 square foot house? And the correct answer is always as long as it takes, right? As long <laughs> as it takes. If, if the technician that, that screws himself is the guy that turns around and says, well, I can do it in 45 minutes. Well, right. 45, right. 45 times 10, uh, you've already run out of your eight hours. So, Correct. Um, yeah. but again, that, that's a training issue. Hang, hang on. So I, I got to stop you there because there's a lot of good meat that you just went over there. And I just want to summarize it for our listeners. So, so the first thing is go to your state's website and see if there's any training concerning these forms and these inspections. If there is, make sure that's in your training program. That's the first thing I heard. Okay. Um, because then it's like, now you can tie it back to, Hey, there's a, you know, there's a WDR in your case, I, I forget you guys call them a 13, yeah. or whatever, you know? Okay. So yes, there's training and we're using what the department of ag has. So, so that's, that's number one. Number two is train your technicians. If, if they ever get questions about stuff, like it's as long as it's, it's a fantastic answer because you're right. If they say, well, I can do it an hour or hell, you got someone who's like, 
oh, I can do that in 20 minutes. It's like, now we got, we got bigger issues. So that's, that's a fantastic point, by the way. So keep going. Sorry. I just want to interlude. Just no, interrupt that, no, that's okay. Um, so, you know, the, the, the form itself, I mean, the, the form itself is, is critical on the fill out. You know, you can, a technician can go through the, go through and inspect a home and, and the standard in, in, Florida, as well as many states that I've seen, is what's visible and accessible at the time of the inspection. That's the critical key. What what could I see and what was accessible? And the, there's also kind of a unique anomaly because there's a lot of home inspection companies who are conducting these types of inspections. Well, in Florida, uh, uh, if you look at what our um, standard is, most of our, our technicians, uh, our inspection is done from the ground. We don't have to go up on the roof. We don't have to go look at dormers. You know, we, we're we're ground people. Whereas a home inspector goes up on the roof and they're walking around. So the standard is a little different for a home inspection company that also performs 13645 because now they have to look at the chimney. Now they have to look at the dormer because they've now taken themselves out of, you know, the realm of just being a pest control operator uh, conducting the inspection because they place themselves into that, that category. But I think in, when I get a case in, when I get a 13645 case in, the case that scares me the most is the one where I look at the form and it says, I didn't see nothing, 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 nothing. And then they sign the bottom of it and it's out. Mm -hmm. You know, that, that to me is the scariest, is the scariest case because I don't know what the individual saw. Uh, and, you know, even the slightest amount of damages has to be reported. So for them, especially when I look at the age of the house, you got a house that's in the sixties and you got a clean report. I'm already questioning, you know, what happened? You know, what, how long did it take you to do it? What did you see? How did you conduct your inspection? And uh, that's, that's where it starts. But when I look at the form, when I look at the form itself, I look at it to say, okay, how did you fill this form out? Did you really check all the boxes here? Did you see live activity? Did you see uh, evidence of, of, of wood destroying organisms? Uh, and yes or no. And if you did see it, what did you see? Uh, and where did you see it at? Florida has a, a section that was changed years ago and it's section three of the form. And what happened was so many pest control companies were just relying on what was visible and accessible that they didn't really inform the consumer on what they couldn't inspect or what they didn't inspect. And in Florida, we have section three, which talks about the attic, the interior, the exterior, the crawl space or other areas. And it, that section of the form is designed to put the consumer on notice of what I didn't inspect and why. So, for example, in the attic, uh, I couldn't inspect uh, the truss tails because of low overhang. Uh, I couldn't inspect the entire attic because of insulate blown-in insulation. I couldn't plod through the insulation. Uh, a lot of times, pest control companies will leave that blank uh, or will have some written-in language in there that they copied from, from inspection to inspection to inspection that may or may not even be applicable to that property. Um, so that section three is critical because it puts so, the consumer on notice on what didn't get inspected. So I want to pause you there real quick because it, it, what you just said is an important point. By the way, just a disclaimer for our listeners. 
we don't do these anymore. Okay. <laughs> Long, many, many years ago, I heard a stat and I don't know if you've heard this or not, Mark, and maybe you've heard it, Dan, but I heard it many, many years ago. And I just looked at the ROI on it. And I'm like, why are we doing these? I heard that like 84, 85% of lawsuits in pest control came from these inspections. And when I looked at my little $85 inspection that I would get from this versus, you know, opening myself up, increasing the rate or the odds, 85%, I'm like, these things aren't worth, by the way, and they were a pain to work with. I mean, the realtors are working with, and then when do we get paid and just like all the crap that goes, I'm just like, you know what, for what we're doing, not one of the other things that I'm done that, with. Uh, we yeah we, we when we used to do them and this is many many years ago, the re, the the amount of renewals that we would get on it, the it was so low just because people didn't put uh, the importance in it that they did in in a uh, a treatment itself. Well, so we we quit doing them in New Jersey as well. So that's my disclaimer is that, but you know, as, but so basically what I'm telling you is everything I say from now on, at least comes out of my mouth. You probably shouldn't listen to me, right? Cause I'm not up to speed on it, but I oh, will say true. that. <laughs> but, so. but Mark, I'm, I'm looking at this PowerPoint here and, and uh, you've got definition of a structure and I know I'm jumping around. One of the definitions is a railroad car, a motor vehicle, a trailer barge, but when did those guys get WDIs or WDOs? Well, that's a good point. You know, and and if you look at the form in Florida, you're required to state on the front of the agreement what structure you inspected, and and what that is is that's a a, a limiting section. You know, okay, for example, in in Marion County, where you know we have big horse area, you see these big houses that have, you know, a house, a separate garage, and uh, a barn. Well, if I would go out to do a, an inspection and I don't limit myself to the house or the barn or whatever, then I'm, and to, then the, then I, it's anticipated that I inspected all three structures. So in Florida, that it, it's key that, that you write down exactly what you are inspecting because if I live on a lake if and I have a boat lake, at my dock. Right. If I don't limit it, that boat is. Right. Is, well, uh, and that's, yeah, I was going to say, and that's the key part. I mean, that's interesting. It, it, again, it's been a long time since we've done these, but I agree with it. One of the things that we did back when we did do these is we had standard exclusions that we would automatically put on the forms and then we would take them off. Like we basically would write out the entire house. By the way, I'm not telling anyone to do this. I'm just because we're kind of, I'm kind of jumping back a little bit to what Mark was talking about is like really defining where you're inspecting and where you're not and being explicit and saying, I was not in the attic. If you don't go in the attic, you know, I, I didn't go here. And, and just so that we would remember, because sometimes, you know, how it is you're out doing a route and that was just second stop of the day. And you took some notes, but you didn't complete the form right then. And then you get at the end of the day and it's like, no, I got to put that back together. It's really easy to lose that kind of stuff. And so anyway, defining the structure, making sure that you are very explicit about the areas that you did not inspect, I think is really, really important. So continue Absolutely. on. So, Absolutely. So, um, Another important part of the inspection is identifying uh, whether the house had a history of treatment. And uh, the form, at least in Florida, we, we are required to inspect to find out if there are other, if there's evidence of treatment. And in Florida, looking for the uh, prior prior treatment stickers is critical. And, you know, there's in Florida, there's five different areas typically where a company would stick a uh, affix a, a treatment sticker, mostly on the power panel, 
but you've seen them on air conditioners, hot water heaters underneath the, um, the cabinets in the kitchen. You've seen them in crawl spaces and you see them in attic accesses. So, you know, you've got to be trained to look for these stickers. Now, you may not see the, the, the treatment. You may not always see drill holes, but um, those stickers will tell you what that is. And that's kind of a key defense uh, for a pest control company. Because in the deposition with the uh, with, with the uh, homeowner, um, you're going to go through the form and you're going to say, did you read the form? Yes, I did. And, okay, now there's this one section here that said that there was uh, multiple treatment stickers found in the uh, uh, on the power panel. Um, what did you do when you read that? Well, I, I didn't do anything. You mean you didn't call those companies to find out what the history of the, the service was? You know, I'll get it. I'll depose those records. And sometimes I'll just take them and I'll just put them right in front of them. Had you made the call, had you done this investigation, you'd have found out that this this house had been treated several times for subterranean termites. So that that's a key defense issue uh, that we like to we like to develop all the time to make sure that um, evidence of the treatment. And, you know, a lot of times um, in Florida, we we have kind of a experience expansive uh, definition of what a treatment is, you know, the, st the inspection sticker. If you have monitoring stations around, you know, maybe those small monitoring stations where a little flag pops up if there was been termite activity. There may not be any uh, termite bait in those stations, but it's still evidence of, of prior treatment that needs to be listed. Um, obviously, a baiting system is is one of those as well. And it's really important to uh, to to make sure because that puts the buyer on notice that there's a history there that that needs to be investigated prior to purchasing the home. So and you said you something really really interesting about um, calling the prior company. All of a sudden, that makes this a research project. And how much do you charge for this thing? Is it really worth doing these things? I mean, that to me sounds like you're opening up a can of worms. Well, you know, I don't want to get in a position where I'm telling companies what they should charge for their, you know, right. uh, the, right. for, for their systems. But, you know, there is there is liability here. But but let's look at the flip side of that for a moment. OK, mm -hmm. if you do these inspections well, OK, and, and like Donnie had said, you know, people are going to make mistakes, you know, thing, things are going to happen. But if you do these, if you do these inspections well, and, and you're well trained, and you're fixed to do this, and you're going to spend the time and you're going to train and document it, what greater way to start a relationship with somebody who's just moved into the state, who's just bought a house, you know what, you are the man, you know, what, what, a, what, a, what, a, what a lead, uh, you know, that, that you get, because you're the biggest investment somebody's ever had, You've told them about it. You've told them all you can. Do you think they're not going to take your GHP and LNO service? Come on. Yeah, but they're not going to buy the house. So well, <laughs> I mean, that, well, that's true. <laughs> I will say this, yeah. and and this, and this are just like some things to think about. I know for at least when we used to do these, I went into this thinking, man, we're just going to get so much, you know, so many renewals. We're going to get so much business off of it. And, you know, a lot of times the the buyer would not even be there when I was doing the inspection. And, and by the way, I know there's folks out there that are doing this successfully and it's a business strategy. Very successfully. Yep. Yeah. We just, we could not, you know, for us, at least we could not seem to, we could not seem to get any traction there. Um, but, but you're right. I mean, yes, you, it could absolutely be uh, something that could be a lead generator, but I, it, it, like most things, I would be very careful in, in just making sure that you you cover your bases if that's the route you're going to go. So, 
Well, I think that, you know, I think that's, it has to be looked at on a case by case basis and, and how your marketing uh, follows up on that inspection. But, you know, I've always, I always thought that it was a, it, I mean, I like, I like the inspection. I think it can be done uh, if it's trained properly uh, and it's not, uh, if your people are not, you know, uh, if I get my route sheet done by the end of the day, I can knock off it too. So you're just blowing through these things as fast as you can. I mean, that's right. if you have technicians that have that mindset, I think that you're opening yourself up. But if you're, you know, uh, you can develop a, a strategy where, you know, people are doing a good job and doing it well to the best of their ability. I think that uh, I think it could be a good, uh, uh, a good component to your, to your business. But anyway, so- so That's can you marketing. confirm nor deny my stat that I came up with, like legit that I heard like that, you know, I don't know if anyone actually collects data on this, but that, you know, that this is really one of the hotbed when it comes to liability and it comes to, you know, lawsuits that these inspections are by far the number one, they're, they're the number one reason or they, you know, the number one reason that people get sued in our industry. I think, um, well, based on my stats, um, it seems like the contract issues are outweighing the 13645. But um, I will tell you that that in my clients who are buying insurance uh, on the application for insurance, the insurance companies are sticklers about, you know, how many of these you do a year and, you know, what your revenue is from this. And then your premium is changed based on that. And I, I will right. tell you that that um, in talking with a, a lot of the insurance companies, the underwriters, uh, it it is a um, it is an inspection that's going to drive your premium up. Gotcha, gotcha. So let's talk about liability with these things. I you yeah. know I know there's two types, and so let's let's roll into those and kind of what you're really getting yourself on the hook for. You know, if this is a business strategy for you and you decide to go down this road. All right. So in the in the thirteen six forty five realm, uh, the liability is twofold. Uh, one is from a regulatory standpoint, uh, and the second one is from uh, a legal standpoint. The regulatory standpoint, you're dealing with the Department of Agriculture. Uh, a consumer complaint is is filed uh, against the company for an inadequate inspection. The uh, Department of Agriculture will send out an inspector who will take a look around and develop you know, whatever their facts are on the situation, take photographs, send it to the enforcement uh, section and the enforcement section is going to review the facts and make a discern make a determination as to whether um a uh, a comp- a uh, uh, a complaint should be lodged against the company companies serve with that that uh complaint and then they've got uh 20 days to respond to the complaint and make a choice on whether they want to do a uh formal or informal hearing with the department of agriculture on whether that inspection was done correctly or not um, a lot of times that the formal hearing is, is similar to a, a normal civil hearing where an administrative judge hears the case by the department and hears the case by the by the pest control company and makes a determination whether there was uh, a, a, a uh, whether it was compliance or not now in the civil or in the informal, uh, the informal uh, hearing is really used just to essentially you're admitting that, you know, whatever the fault was occurred and you're either going to fall on your sword and ask them for a reduction in the fine or in the or in the event that um, there's an issue of law um, that you want to bring up, uh, you can argue it at an informal hearing. 
So that's how the regulatory side goes. The regulatory side has a um, uh, a fine component. Um, you could get a warning letter, uh, depending on how many violations you had. You could get a you could get a uh, uh, a monetary fine as well. On the legal side. Well, before you move on to that, and sometimes people look at these and they're like, well, the fines aren't that big and it's not that. Well, just don't forget, they can yank your license, right? I mean, that's the, <laughs> like to me, that's a huge risk, right? You want to make sure that, and, it, and and I'm sure all of our listeners, I mean, if someone's taking the time to listen to a podcast, I mean, in, in their industry, normally they're going to be pretty tight operators, but just don't forget that, right? I mean, it is a big deal. Like it's not, you know, it's not a small thing. You no, know, and you have to remember under under our statute, um, you know, you could be fined up to five thousand dollars, and um, you can actually be uh, charged with a second degree misdemeanor. So, yeah. I mean, you, you but you're looking at you know like a drive by WDO, you know, guy never got out of his truck, right? <laughs> committed committed right. fraud uh, in in doing that's when you're looking at this. I mean, people sometimes make mistakes, but you know, in, in this industry, it just seems that that you know, either they don't know how to accurately do the inspection or they don't know how to accurately fill out the form. And and I see that a lot. I see they know how to do the inspection, but they can't fill the form out correctly. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and uh, you know, it's like you did half of it correct. How come you didn't fill the form out right. the way it's supposed to be? Because, you know, obviously you had all the information in your notes. It just never made it over to the form. And it, it's an inaccurate 13645. Right. So right. one of the, the slides that you have uh, in this PowerPoint, you've got a picture of a door with a, a little bit of termite damage in the door jam. And it says, if you miss damage as small as something on a door frame, you could end up buying the house. How does that happen? <laughs> All right. So we we see that a lot. Um, you know, when you look at a, uh, a civil complaint, um, they always throw in that one little line. It says, had the report been adequately had had the inspection uh, been adequately completed um it would have put the uh, plaintiff on notice that the house had a history and they would have never purchased the home right so you know now now it's you know trying to recover uh, uh you know trying to recover from a a bad purchase you know and it could be a situation where they really wanted the house or they were in a hurry to buy the home and, you know, once they got into it, they they realized that, you know, I got to put a bunch of money to into this home to fix it up. Well, I don't want it anymore. So let's 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 make the pest control company buy it back. You know, and, wow. and if you look at the damages, I mean, the damages that, that they recover. And I think that's really important because I think a lot of pest control companies think that if you, um, you know, my my liability for uh, an inadequate inspection is simply uh, I got to fix whatever they're talking about, you know, whatever, whatever, whatever the damages are. But it's really not. If you stop and think about it, it's you, know, you could have a you could have a diminution in value to the property. Right. And if you stop and think about that, think about it when you go to buy something. Wouldn't you argue the defect in whatever you're buying to reduce the price? Well, that's Absolutely. essentially what that that's what that right. diminution value. You've got a history of termite damage. You know, I, I'm not going to pay you what 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 you want because, you know, I'm taking a risk here. Um, <clears throat> you stop and think about it. If the damages are severe enough that um, they can't live in the house where well, you got to put them up in a hotel, you got to feed them. 
So now you've got relocation damages. If they have to take, you know, part of the roof off, you got to move furniture, you got to store furniture. So the damages, they add up a lot. Plus the fact that you know, some of these cases, they even uh, are looking for prejudgment interest, which is interest on, on the monies they had to spend to repair the property. And sometimes that prejudgment interest can be very, very, can be, a, can be a lot of money. I mean, and a lot of lawyers overlook at that, look at that when they're assessing the liability that the interest on, on, uh, on their claiming uh, on the damages uh, is, is significant in and of itself. Interesting. Interesting. So, all right. So I've got risk on the regulatory side. I've got risk on kind of the civil side. What are some things that I can do? We've talked about training and in our last episode, we talked about a few things as far as contracts, but obviously this is a little different because this is using a standardized form. There's training on that form. What else can I do to protect myself if this is a strategy that I want to do um, as an owner? Well, I think I think it, again, it starts with it starts with the training. It starts with uh, making sure that the individuals that you are uh, hiring to do these types of inspections are dedicated to doing them correctly, um, choosing the correct people that, that are that are going to um, you know represent you and your company in these inspections. To me, that's that would be having that set of people. Uh, whose mindset is in this. That's really where it starts. The training comes from experience. I mean, when you look at the different types of structures, uh, whether the slab is a supported slab, you know, whether it's a monolithic slab, you know, teaching those points and having those people with that type of construction knowledge. And there's a lot of, the, there's a lot of experience that comes with this, you know, uh, I learn a lot going out with the experts. You know, when every time I get one of these cases, I go out with the expert. I always bring the home, the owner of the company with me as long, and in addition to the technician. And we go through the house and, you know, I, I learn things like, okay, if you want to find the slab level, measure down from the floor from the window jam. I mean, well, wow, that, that's pretty cool. I, didn't, I wouldn't right. know to, to have done that, you know? And right. so you 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 look for these things. Um, trying to get up into the attic, trying to figure out how to how to get out to those trust tails, how to fill the form out correctly. When you're when you're going through in all these cases and 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 learning these things, I learned this over time. And you're not gonna. I just don't feel myself that you can teach that in three weeks to a technician. No. Uh, it, it it there is so much finesse to this that, like I said, I think the. The, the the thing for a pest control company is to have a dedicated individual who has the experience to to look for these things and identify it. And you know the thing about it too is that there's a there's a push me pull me here because you know a lot of these leads are generated from relationships with um, realtors. Mm-hmm. All right, the realtors are the ones that are calling you up. And the thing is that not to get, I think a pest control company needs to learn that. Some of these referrals are, you know, what the realtor has an interest in closing the the uh, the deal. closing the, the deal quickly as possible. Yep. And if you know they don't want to see problems on those forms because they know if they see problems, then the deal's probably not going to go through. Mm-hmm. And in you know, it's interesting because sometimes I'll talk to a PCO who's doing these inspections, and I'll say, well, what happened to you? What why? 
why didn't you do this? Or why didn't you do a follow-up inspection? Or why didn't you do this? And and they'll tell you that there's pressure from the realtors to to close and that some of these realtors are giving them, you know, 60, 70% of the referrals and they don't want to let them go. Um, and, you know, every, I will tell you that I have deposed more than my share of realtors. And if you ask the realtor, now, didn't you tell so-and-so that, you know, not to worry about doing a follow-up inspection, that the, the report was fine? No, I didn't. Oh, wow. As a matter of fact, I told them that I wanted a full and legal and complete mm -hmm. inspection. I need to protect the, you know, I need to protect my oh, client. Yeah. Yeah, oh, yeah. I have never seen, I have oh, never seen a realtor come to the aid of a, a pest control operator when, when, when they're the impetus of the, uh, of the problem. So. There's, there's here, one here's more. one of the interesting things on, on, on the slide here is personal liability. Just because you work for a big company doesn't mean you personally can't get sued as the inspector. Tell Absolutely. Well, you know, th and that's yeah. something that, um, th that's something that, uh, a lot of technicians don't understand. They think that they work for some big company and that, you know, if, if I, if I do something wrong, that company is going to get, uh, you know, that company insurance company is going to cover me. You know, a lot of times th these folks won't name the, the technician and, and they feel like, Hey, look, I, I got the company, the company's responsible for the technician under, you know, respondent superior. So, um, you know, who cares? Um, but in reality, stop and think about it. If an insurance company, um, you know, and there's lawyers out there that, that, you know, if you look at the big PI lawyers out there, they tell you that insurance companies, they, they, they don't want to pay claims. They want to pay as little as they can. They look for, you know, look for loopholes here not to have to cover. Well, um, you know, in some cases that's true, I guess, but if I'm a technician and let's say the, I work for a smaller company and, you know, I got a $200,000 loss and the insurance company is not going to cover it because of some defect in, in the insurance. Who are they going to go after for the money, right? The company goes bankrupt. There's no money. Well, Everyone. let's go after the technician, right? So we'll, we'll name the technician. And I always, I always ask the, I always ask in training, uh, when I give these trainings, I ask a technician or the certified operator, um, based on the money you make, how long does it take you to pay off a $200,000 judgment? You know, that's like buying a house, guys. So you yeah, do, you have, yeah. you, you have personal liability for that. And, and they have to understand that, that, you know, not all the time insurance is not always there. So yeah. there's one thing I want to talk about because it, I'm looking through this presentation, which is fantastic, by the way. And it reminded me of something that happened many, many years ago when I first started. So we used to do these. And I had a guy that worked for me. He was our termite guy. Fantastic. I mean, a really good termite guy. Back then, we did only full drill out termidor treatments. That's all we would do. He did them all. I mean, obviously, he had helpers and those types of things, but had been with me for five years, fully trusted him, seen him take care of some really complicated jobs in some homes. And one day, I'm sitting in my office, and I get a phone call. It's like, hey, um, you guys did a WDR on, on my home. And I've just had another company in and they said, there's a ton of termite damage under the house and, and you guys signed it off as being clean. So I pulled the WDIR, I look at it. Sure enough, you know, I'm not going to say the person's actual name. He had been out there. He's the one that did the WDIR. I'm like, okay, that's fine. I'll, I'll come out and take a look. I go out and look at the house and it was legit. Like there was a, one of the floor joists about a four foot section was just, I mean, mud tubes all over it. It, it had been. I mean, I don't know how he missed it. 
I actually, I do know how he missed it. It's because it was an uncommon. Normally here in North Carolina, we've got crawl spaces. It's go to the garage. Where's the garage at in the crawl space? Go to where the windows are at because you normally the water coming in under that. I mean, it, and then go to the porch because if it's a dirt field, those are just common areas. You're always going to find termites in if there's termites in the house. This section that had damage was in the middle of the, of the crawl space, which is not anywhere near where you would expect to see termites. So he just missed it. So I immediately came out of the crawl space I went up to the homeowner and said, look, you're right. And we're going to replace it. We're going to fix it. And so I, I tell that story and it didn't go anywhere. We fixed it. it I mean, it, obviously I didn't want to pay for it, but that's what I did. We took care of it. You know, I, I guess my point here is, and this is, these kind of relate back to your slide is number one, if someone makes a complaint, get in front of it immediately. Nine times yeah, out of it. 10. Own yeah. It. Nine times out of 10, if you jump in and like, Hey, I'm really sorry. And and if it truly is your fault, like take care of it, right? I mean, like just go ahead because it's it's gonna be because it's like most things, right? If you don't take care of it and you like you start throwing excuses and it's not really this, not really that, and then people get pissed off and it gets personal, now now you're gonna have a fight, right? <laughs> so just like don't lock horns with people, like especially if you go in there and you're like, mm, yeah, this is even close. Or let's just say it's not like it's not really you, you can't really tell if it was you or not but you could knock it out for a hundred bucks or even a little bit less. And I mean, in this case, what we did, we just put, we just put another piece across of it and the homeowner was happy with that. We told him what we we're going to do and it was over, right? I mean, it was complete, but that could have easily turned into something, a really big deal had it been like, well, that's then afterwards. And now the homeowner's pissed off and now they're looking. If, if, if you can get in front of it. Yeah. If you can get in front of it, then you're not going to the internet and seeing these, uh, right. these attorneys who are make a fantastic living off of suing pest control guys. Although you can't stop that. You really right. can't. Well, well, why, while I agree with your comment about getting in front of it, the danger with that though, uh, is that you have to understand what the scope of the damages are. Yes. Because I, if you don't, if you don't understand what the scope of the damages are, you know, and I have seen that in several instances where, you know, we thought that the damage was, was the, the company says, look, I'm not going to turn it into my insurance carrier. I'm going to pay for it myself. And first thing out of my mouth is make sure you understand what the scope is and make sure you get a release yeah. after you pay for it. Yeah. Um, and when he started taking off the garage door to fix the garage door, as they started pulling out siding, it ended up being the whole West end of the house. Oh my gosh. So yeah. you get into a situation where you, you know, sometimes you can, you know, yes, I can fix it or I can pay somebody to fix it. Uh, and I, and by the way, that's my preference is write a check rather than, you know, have your handyman go out there and fix it because yep. now you become responsible for your handyman's repair. Correct. And I'd rather yep. just hand you a check. Um, yep. and then you take but, but sometimes, but there's a risk here and the risk is, you know, if I'm going to try to get in front of it and take care of it, is it, do I really understand what the damages are? And is it a situation where I need to turn this into my carrier? Yeah. The, the core point here is, is that become an advocate with, if it truly is something that you're involved in, a lot of times, if you don't get on the opposite side of the table and you're kind of working together, it is, it goes way better and it never gets to this point, right? Normally, I mean, Dan and I, years, years, years ago, we were in a group and there was one guy in there that seemed like all of his time was in lawsuits because he was never wrong. Dan's smiling and laughing. If you're watching this on YouTube, you because he knows who I'm talking about. Like we would come in and we would be talking about our businesses and he would spend all of his time talking about his lawsuits. 
because he could not be wrong, right? He could not accept the fact that, well, sometimes maybe something's not my fault, but I just have to, that's just part of doing business. And so I just, I want to make that point because don't roll over, but at the same time, it's like, you know, you have to like, you have to like go big picture and say, is this really worth it? You know what I mean? So like from a, from a, from a professional, from a, a lawyer's perspective and, and answer it from a lawyer's perspective, is there any time you would not report it to your insurance company and just kind of take care of it? Or should you report it to your insurance company just because, you know, it can turn into something bigger? Okay. So. <laughs> so, say no okay. more <laughs> All right. so, so so lawyer mark is going to say yes each and every time you have a claim you must turn it into your carrier because you yes. have a cooperation clause in in your insurance policy and uh, you cannot settle a, a claim without their their permission yes okay but businessman mark says says, well, I think it's a case-by-case -case basis. Uh, again, wrap your arms around it, see what you have, make sure you, if it's just a door jam and you can get a release on it, then that's probably the way to go as opposed to turning in your carrier. But if you, but you've got to make that analysis. You, you just can't go into it blindly and say, look, right. we're, we're just going to do this. You've got to look at it and say, I have a problem here. I need to turn this into my carrier. Yeah. Yeah. That's a, it's a fantastic point. All right, we're getting close to the end here, so let's just wrap up. Um, just real quick, I'm, I'm going back through this, and, and by the way, for our listeners, I mean, we're, obviously, we can't share this training, and we're not going to, and we're just trying to cover it big picture, but tell us about just most common mistakes that you see. Um, I think that would be good for our listeners to hear, just so that they can just think through them and, and, and obviously do a self-evaluation, and, and then we'll wrap up from there. Sure. The most common mistakes that I see is hurrying through the inspection, um, not filling the form out correctly, not, underst not understanding, uh, you know, exactly the structure of the home. You know, before you start the inspection, you got to step back and look at the house and say, is it a supported slab? Is it up on piers? You know, what am I, what, am, what, what is this going to take for me to do an adequate inspection? That type of self-analysis is, is really um, critical. And, and I think that's the point, but before I know we're going to try to get to closing here, but I want to share with you, you know, a lot of times when I get into these, um, cases, I want to, I always ask the technician, what happened? You know, why do you feel like you're not responsible? And I want to kind of, I gave a quick list here and what some of their excuses are. I'd like to just share it with you real quick. Mm -hmm. Some of the, when I, when I asked the, the technician, I said, well, why didn't you, you know, why did you do an inadequate inspection? And some of the some of the responses I get are, well, I only got paid thirty five dollars. Well, that's that's the John Arbuckle defense. You get what you pay for. Right. Uh -huh. um, yeah. The, yeah. That's not enough damage to report all any damage. Uh, any damage that's wood destroying has to be um, reported. Anyone could have seen that that damage. Well, no, that's your job to put it on the form. It doesn't matter what anybody else would have seen. It's what you saw. Mm -hmm. The realtor told me to fill it out that way. Well, that's not much of a defense. You know, it's that that's trying to hang the realtor and the realtor is going to deny it. Um, right. You know, uh, the, and, and a lot of times when you have to re-inspect, um, they don't inspect the entire home, you know. If you're going to do a reinspection, let's say that you you saw problems with the home, and then 
they say, well, I fixed it. Well, don't go back and just inspect that area. You've got to go back and reinspect the whole house because a 13645 inspection is a snapshot in time. Right. This is what I saw at that time. Now you come back two weeks later and now there may be, you know, exit holes that, that weren't there during your first inspection. So you've got to do that. Um, and, and talking about exit holes, that's, a, that's an excuse I've seen before. How do I know the difference between an exit hole and a nail hole? Um, I, I got a, you know, the funniest one I think I ever saw was there was, there was a big technician and uh, this was a house that was up on, on three levels of block and uh, the bottom area of the, of the uh, exterior um, on the siding was completely, if you reach, if you looked under it, you could see that it was completely damaged. And I asked him, I said, well, why didn't, why didn't you see this? And he goes, well, I had to bend down to see that. And, and I said, well, that's your job. He goes, and then he looked at me, he goes, well, what do you want me to do? He says, you want me to go get one of the mirrors like them perverts at Kmart used to look under skirts. And I, I mean, this is what I'm being told by these people. I mean, I'm going, and 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 again, there's bait stations around around the the. He didn't list the bait stations. I said, well, why didn't you list the bait stations? He goes, well, I don't know if there's bait or sticks in them. He says, so I don't want to make that judgment. I'm like, okay, it's a it's a system around the house. Put it there, you know. Wow. Um, the other thing too is I had a guy that was out in Volusia County that was doing a church, and he did the inspection with with a almost almost a pen light, and and I'm like, you're standing in this big open void i said you missed all this damage he goes well I, w- would you expect me to get a bigger flashlight yes yes i expected you to get a bigger uh, flashlight right. so i mean these are these are some of the comments that i get from these folks and some of them are like i shake my head and i'm like you shouldn't be doing this but but those are some of the those are some of the some of the crazy things that, that have happened at least things i've had to deal with over the last 28 years any wow. anything else that you know as far as most common i mean any anything else you want to before we finish out here because i i think you know obviously technicians you know obviously there's no alibi right i mean at, at the end of the day you you have to do the inspection you got to do it right, right. way and there is no excuse right it, it i mean it just i shouldn't say there's no but it's just like the it has to be something that you physically cannot see and it's a good point that you made about them understanding the structure we had several times where it looked like a home was like a split level and it was on a slab and it was not, it was actually a crawl space and the crawl space was accessible from inside the house. And so it would not get, you know, it would, it would be easy to miss it because they didn't like, Oh yeah, it's a slab. It's like, no, actually it's not. If you go inside the house, you'll find like a little opening. And I don't know if you guys ever seen these on split levels, but we have a lot of them here in North Carolina and it's really easy to do because you think, Oh, it's a slab and it's not. So anything else, like as far as common mistakes, well, but again, going back to the training real quick, I mean, if you don't feel like you um, like you can give your technicians adequate quantity, there are programs out there that you can send your technicians to. Uh, for example, PMU at the University of Florida has a great program. You can it's a week long program where they're le- they're learning identity of of the insects, how to do the inspection. They've got a a house out there that they've designed to teach your folks, you know, what to look for and how to do that. So there are there are training uh, there are training modes available that that a company can can utilize if you don't feel like you can do it well enough yourself. Right, you should utilize right. those. Yeah. All right, Dan. Anything else you want to want to add here before we finish out? No, I think that that's it. I think that uh, this has been fairly comprehensive, and uh, really appreciate your time and. Uh, 
you know, uh, Mark, is there any, uh, uh, you know, uh, want to do a selfless plug for your, your yeah, practice? I, I, I use Mark, uh, extensively for M and a, and I thought that this was really interesting stuff. If people want to get a hold of you, how do they do it? Well, they can, they can reach out to my, my law firm. It's a law firm of Mark HRF PA and I'm located in, uh, Longwood, Florida. And if you want to give me a call, you can reach me at 407-951-6679. Look, the phones are ringing already. There it is. They're already <laughs> ringing off the hooks. <laughs> All righty. With that, Good deal. if you enjoyed this right. episode or inner episodes, please rate and review us on Apple Podcasts or Apple Spotify, however it is. And a reminder, all the resources and show notes are available on pmpindustryinsider.com. And with that, we're going to sign off. We'll see you all next time. Take care.